You're listening to the Simple Pen Podcast, Pinterest for business advice that goes down smooth and easy. Here's your host, Kate All. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Simple Pin Podcast. I'm your host, Kate All, and I'm the owner and founder of Simple Pin Media. We're a Pinterest management company based out of Portland, Oregon, and I help manage our clients' Pinterest presence so they can focus back on their business. But I also have this podcast to help you DIY your Pinterest marketing. So first, I want to say thank you to those who listen to the podcast each and every week. You come up to me at conferences or send me emails and I am so thrilled that I get to go to the gym with you on your walks or just when you're getting ready in the morning. I love recording these podcasts and teaching about Pinterest. If you're new to the podcast, today's episode is not going to talk about Pinterest. In fact, it's going to talk about something that's really personal to me. And that's been a little bit tough to get up to the point that I'm ready to talk about it. But it's going to be what's been going on behind the business for the last few years, and how and why that's affected the growth and building out of my team. It's pretty personal, it goes pretty deep. And if you're not quite ready to get to know me on that level, and you're really just itching to know more about Pinterest, I want to urge you to go back to episode 100. That lists all the top 10 Simple Pin podcast episodes since Simple Pin has started. Well, let's say this since the Simple Pin podcast has started. So you'll find them packed with information about Pinterest and it will keep you occupied for a while. There's lots of downloads associated with most of them. Then after you get through those top 10, you might want to come back and listen to this one. So there's your there's your warning before you proceed. For those of you who have listened to the Simple Pin Podcast for a long time, you may have listened to episode 27, and that was the Simple Pin Story, which talks all about how I got started. And in episode 62, I talk about building a team. And if you haven't, those are two really good ones also to listen to, to help you understand a little bit more about Simple Pin and about who I am as a business owner. But for this episode, I'm going to talk about something really personal. And this is really what's been happening behind the scenes while Simple Pin has been growing tremendously. And in fact, at times, it's felt as if Simple Pin kind of had a life of its own that helped to sustain our family during what has been some of the saddest times of our lives. And I've hinted at this a few times in our newsletter, but here's the complete story from beginning to end. And I've changed up names here to protect um, the identity of a little precious girl who this really involves throughout this episode, because as you know, this episode is public, so anybody could listen to it. So I'll refer to her as baby girl, and I'll leave out some details that some people might not want me to share, but you'll still understand the whole part of the story. So with that, let me dive in. So when I talk about Simple Pin and how it grew so quickly. Um, I started in 2014. So we're coming up upon almost five years. In fact, it will be in August of 2018. It will be a full five years to where I got the first idea to even start Simple Pin basically out of desperation and being dirt poor and on food stamps and living on $1,000 a month. So the first event is when my daughter was diagnosed with type one, which was about nine months into Simple Pin. 
And then four months later, we decided to choose to grow Simple Pin into a full-fledged company instead of keeping it a side hustle. And that pretty much defines 2014. And it really doesn't talk about what happened next. It's almost like this and this happened and then we sailed off into the sunset of growth. (laughs) Well, it's not really totally what happened. Well, in May of 2015, about seven months after that decision to grow Simple Pin, I had eight very part-time team members. We had learned that life with a diabetic was going to be okay and we were good, but we were about to experience another change. My daughter was switching to what's called a pump and this would give her insulin basically all the time. And if you know me in real life and you're listening to this, this is not a surprise to you, but a wrench in my life is always transition. It's when you change up my norms. I'm not very type A, but I am very consistent. And with every personality test, I'm like right in the middle. I don't swing very far when it comes to emotions. I, in fact, when I see people getting super emotional, I kind of actually go to the middle to try to like um, balance out what's happening. So anyway, this transition to this pump was pretty intense for me. And thankfully, I had a lot of amazing people in my life in the diabetic community that I could text at any time. And we made this leap. We transitioned well. And it was like, yay, we're we're free. Well, just a few weeks later, we were at a friend's house discussing my issues with transition, and they were experiencing their own transition with the addition of two foster children they had decided to foster. They had been in their house for a while, but I knew that having foster kids enter into a family was not easy. It's very messy sometimes. It's tough work. It's heart work. And there was no easy way to make it work. And for them, it felt like every day was really swimming upstream. So I was thinking of my own diabetic change issues and they felt very petty. Like this family is doing like deep community work and deep heart work. And I'm like, you know, just crying in my Cheerios over, you know, change, which was not that huge of a deal. We were fine. Well, in this conversation, one of their foster children told me about their mom being pregnant again with baby number eight. And they had come from a really horrible situation. Um, There was an addict situation there and really horrible situation. And I thought, could there be any worse situation to bring a child into this world? So many questions. Would the state let mom keep this baby? Where would the baby go? How could she stay connected to the siblings? This situation was just so horrible and dire. Well, I left their house that day. And as I drove away, I heard a voice. And my husband and I are a part of the Christian community. And so for me, that voice is the Lord. And I know it sounds totally crazy if you're not in the Christian faith, but that's however you want to think of it, voice, universe, whatever. The voice was, you should foster this baby. And I know the exact place on the road that I heard this. And you know what my response was? It was no. Um, I said, I am a foster parent cheerleader. We have so much going on in our life with my daughter, who is a diabetic. I cannot take on one more thing. Plus this growing business that I have too. No way. I cannot take on a baby. But you know what? I can bring meals. I can bring diapers. I can do whatever. But this baby coming into my home is not an option. And so that was it. I drove away from that thought probably pretty faster than I could or faster than I could. And I basically pretended it never happened. Fast forward to July, and this sweet little baby girl was born. 
And our friend's foster daughter told us all about it and how the state had actually let mom um, keep this baby. And I stood listening to that conversation and my heart broke into a thousand pieces. And I realized I was absolutely wrong to say no. I, I was wrong. You know, when you, have you ever done something where you feel so bad about it? Like you couldn't believe you were that insensitive. That is how I felt in this moment. And I cried. I don't cry very often. I mean, I've cried a lot in the last year, which you'll figure out why. But I cried these tears of total remorse. And I went home to my husband, Dave, and I told him everything from, the, from hearing the voice until now. And I knew what we needed to do. And so we talked to our kids and we said, are, are you okay with fostering babies? Are you good with that? And they were like, yeah, bring it. You know, kids are like, let's do this. And they said, we want to be this snuggle family. We want to be this family that helps these babies. If, you know, we were going to get this baby girl to attach. And so I took a deep breath and I basically said, how in the world are we going to do this? So we took the next step, which was to enroll in foster parent classes, which are super duper long. They are <laughs> really long. So, um, but we did put in a note for this caseworker and we wanted them to know that if for some reason the state took this little baby girl away from mom, we would definitely be open and willing to take on this child. So from that moment in July to basically November, we just held steady. There wasn't a word from anyone until four months later on November 21st. I was actually at a friend's house and Dave called to say that the state had taken this baby girl for mom and they would be bringing her to our house. Getting these types of phone calls um, as a foster parent are amazing, terrifying, confusing, overwhelming and all in the same 60 seconds it's like a zillion questions go through your head along with the fact that you have nothing my youngest was six I hadn't had a baby in the house and everything was gone so our community really rallied around us and there's also a special group here called with love that specifically helps foster parents who have kids under five they showed up at our doorstep with a diaper bag, clothes, diapers, bottles, everything. And the next day, she arrived really, really dirty in oversized PJs that DHS had given her and a giant smile. She was just the cutest, most welcoming, sweet, tiny, tiny baby. And our kids were totally overjoyed. In fact, pretty much from that day forward, there was constant arguments <laughs> over who would sit next to her, who would feed her, who would watch her, who would, it was crazy. So that night, Dave and I gave her a bath. We fed her and just watched her. Like this was real. And we had had pretty extensive conversations before she came to her house about childcare and what that would look like. Because our vision for um, what my work is has always been that what I would do would release Dave to do what he loved, which was preaching. And at that time, he was pastoring a small church in Eugene, just to our south of here. So he would go there every Sunday. He's still doing that, actually, um, which required time for him but my business definitely needed the most attention. So we worked out a schedule and we had no idea how long this little one would live with us. When you get a child in foster care, there's um, 
there's not a lot of information. You basically live week to week, month to month, court case to court case. So we traveled to my parents for Thanksgiving, which is up north in a different state. And you have to get authority to travel across state lines. There's a lot of bureaucracy in this. And basically, we introduced her to them, which was also a whole new world. And it was the first time I experienced the litany of questions as a foster parent. How can you give her back? What will happen when she has to leave? What's the situation with mom? You're so amazing. I couldn't do this. How you're a great person. That would probably be the number one question or comment I would get the entire time. How will you do that? How will you do when she leaves? And I could never do this. And you're an amazing person. So I want to say, let's set the record straight. I'm not amazing. I was just willing to say yes. That's it. And I knew every last bit of this fostering thing was going to be so far from easy. But I am an emotionally grounded adult who has an amazing support system of people who are willing to help me through the hard things. In addition, I know how to find support for my kids and resources to help them work through whatever it is they're going to experience. We can do hard things. Why? Because that's where the magic happens. That's where we experience growth. That's where we give thanks for the big and small things. That's where we find joy. I had all these things and this little girl did not. She was living with a math addict and her dad was in jail. So I can sacrifice my comfort for her attachment and safety. That in no way makes me any different than anyone else. It just showed that I was willing in this moment. I'm still selfish with my time. I'm still selfish with my space. But I, I just knew that this is what we have to do. And when you get to those situations in your life to make the hard decision, you'll know too. So Dave and I agreed to take it one month at a time, one court case at a time. And the first time I met her bio mom, it was crazy. She thanked me for taking care of her baby. And I literally cried the entire ride home. Because how can I be in this world? What is this world that this biological mother is thanking me for caring for her mother or for her child? And I, I don't even know how to process this. And on the business side of things, I just promoted someone on my team to an assistant. And um, not like what I have now, but just somebody to literally help with day-to-day -day tasks. And everyone else was still an account specialist. And I was still trying to grow the business. And I had these blocks of time where I worked during nap time and evenings, but it wasn't consistent at all, even though Dave and I had worked out that system. We did finally find our groove and kind of fast forward to the end of March. And she'd been in our care four months. The DHS system moves very, very slow. And dad had just gotten out of jail and was now wanting to have visits with her. So she had visits with mom on one day and visits with dad on another day. So this allowed more time for us to get some things done. So we did go through some process where there was a little bit of, you know, was she going to go back with mom if mom went into treatment and really coming face to face with those first feelings of loss and this idea of maybe she could leave our house and what would that look like? And, you know, it really, it was really, it was really tough for me. Um, and we'd been very clear with our kids from the beginning that we don't know timelines or what will happen. But while she's in our house, our whole goal is to get her to attach and help with that part of development and really to love her like she is our own. So we continued to go through mom did not go into treatment. So she continued to stay with us. And we went through the next year of court cases of ups and downs. And during this time, I was building up the Simple Pin team. 
And I realized in myself I was a natural team builder. And I also realized I needed help, that taking care of her was taking more of me. And also during this time, I started this podcast. I built a leadership team of people that could help me and one by one, little by little. And I believe this was perfectly designed to prepare me for what was to come. I was still being coached, like I said, and um, that was helping me put one foot in front of the other. So this brings me up to speed to April of 2017. She's been in our house probably about 16, 15 months at this point. And I was actually speaking at SNAP in Salt Lake City at that conference there. And we had really been in a holding pattern with court cases and each one kept telling us, wait another three months in a review. Because terminating a parent's rights is a really big deal. And the state's goal is reunification. And there is value in being with a parent and they want to do their due diligence to keep that family unit together. So, however, um, when drastic measures need to be taken, they will remove parental rights And the other two foster children our friends had, um, our baby girl siblings, their rights had been terminated. Um, Mom's rights had been terminated. And so we really thought this would happen in our case, too. So we were kind of ready to move into stage two. And everybody was asking us, like, do you want to adopt? Would you be willing to put your name, your hat in the ring? Because after they terminate rights, it goes another 18 months to go through the whole process of adoption. So we knew we had a long, 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 long road ahead of us. But basically our answer was, of course, but we're gonna hold our heart close because what if it doesn't happen? So back to SNAP. Um, I was there in a, you know one of the conference rooms just sitting at a table with my friend Kimber. And when I looked down to a text, from a husband that said DHS just called and they're moving to in-home visits with dad. And literally my heart sank and I was about to speak in 15 minutes and my whole body, mind, and soul was completely spinning. And here's why. The last person during this whole process we thought would ever get baby girl was dad. And for reasons I can't get into, um, it really was basically like the last last possible option. And I knew that this text triggering in-home visits was a signal that he was about to get custody of her. And it was like my, the floor had dropped out from underneath me. It was, it was pretty insane. So I walked out of that room. I didn't even know who to call or where to begin. So I called my husband. He told me the story. He said, and I had an email. I read that. I called her Casa. I did my best to hold back tears. I sent a few texts to friends to pray. I went to the bathroom and I literally held my head in my hands and I just asked for grace just to get through the next eight hours. I wasn't leaving to fly home until the next night. So I knew I had about 36 hours took the deepest breath I could and I pushed down every last tear I had in my soul. And I walked into that class with a smile and I don't know what I said. I don't know how I taught. So if you were in that class um, at SNAP, you need to know um, that was where my heart, mind and soul were. They were in somewhere else. And I tried to give the best that I could and miraculously I did it. And, um, you know, I was staying with my friend Kimber too, and I, I couldn't even say something to her because I knew once the can opened, it would not, um, it would basically not be closed back up. So um, I pulled it together for one more day of snap and I got to the airport and 
I was sitting next to nobody and I wrote the word faith on a napkin. And that was my word for the year. And it was about to come full circle. Do we have enough faith to believe that our God that we serve has her best interests in mind? And do we believe that this time that we've spent with her will not be in vain? Do we believe in the caretaking of us and our pain? Do we believe that that will be taken care of? And I knew I had to have faith to put one foot in front of the other. It was literally all I could do was just take one at a time. And I I arrived home and I just collapsed into a heap, basically. And, you know, we we all prayed about what was next. We gave our kids just a little bit of information, not a lot, but they knew something had triggered differently. Um, and I told my team and they really they really rallied and began to carry on Simple Pen as their own. And it was this magical time of caretaking. I've never felt more cared for during this time by all people in our life. Um, and so we went to court uh, a couple weeks later, probably two weeks later. And our CASA, basically, the CASA is a person that's court-appointed volunteer that you're, is basically the third party. He was amazing, amazing. But we sat in court. And if you've ever sat in court um, with somebody, you can't imagine having the child you feel like is your own. Um, it's pretty horrible. Um, that's kind of all I'll say. But um, our CASA told us basically the state didn't have enough of a case to keep this sweet little girl from living with her dad. And so he did all he could. He had been overruled by the judge and she was going to move home. And my heart beat in that courtroom faster than I think it's ever beat in my life. And the judge was so, she saw us. And after she said, you know, this little girl's going to move home in 60 days. We need a transition plan. She looked at this father and just said, you need to listen to these parents, these foster parents. You need to respect them. She has spent the majority of her life with them. That's all she knows. And there's a ton of red flags over this, but we will watch you and we need you to be a team player in this with this family. And I, if you've ever been involved in the foster care system, you know that foster parents are not seen. Um, at all. They're a very small piece of the puzzle, even though they do a huge amount of the work. And so for her to say this was like, wow, this is incredible. And um, she was leaving. And we had to explain this to our kids. And this little baby girl who had been in their home for almost two years, she was about to turn two. They were crushed. And our job moved from not just caretaking for this baby girl, but caretaking for our kids and helping them walk through dealing with grief. And I told my team and we basically came up with a plan. And during some of these times when we, was when we developed a lot of the things that Simple Pin has now, a lot of things that did the jobs that I couldn't do, which were assessments and touching base with clients and these things and the team. Incredible, incredible, incredible. That's all I can say about that. So our next big hurdle was we had to meet face-to-face with dad. Um, the court requires you to do a transition meeting. And this is dad, lawyers, his parents, and everyone else would 
basically discuss what this transition would look like. It's a big boardroom. And again, I mean, my friend Ruth Sukub has a podcast like Do It Scared and she talks about fear and courage. And it takes courage to walk into these meetings where you don't want to be. It's like everything in your being is going, I don't want to do this at all, but I have to. So I have to put one foot in front of the other. I have to have faith. And so I had to look this person in the eye who I never thought would get this child. And my husband looked at him and he just said, we want you to be successful and we're going to do whatever it takes to help with that. And we love this baby girl as our own, but we know she's yours. And so we want you to be a good dad. And you can imagine there was a lot of sobbing, not a dry eye in the room pretty much. So the next 60 days, we made a plan and it was a lot of ups and downs. She knew she was going, um, even at two, I think with her back and forth um, and transition plans. There's a lot of longer visits, uh, overnight visits. Everybody was out of sync. Everybody. Um, I had agreed to speak at the Teachers Pay Teachers Conference in LA that summer. And so we decided it would be best for us to transition her to dad and then immediately get on a plane. I couldn't go home. I couldn't be idle. We set a date to move her. And then um, we had a really great celebration for her a few days before her birthday. Packed her clothes, headed to this local park to meet dad and took one last family picture and handed her over. And we literally stood in that parking lot and we prayed and we cried. And yeah, he saw our pain. Even now it's hard to talk about. But um, he saw our love for her in such a an amazing way. So we drove to the airport just in silence and we flew to LA. Um, my husband's sister lives there. So that was really good. We had um, great laughter and great joy. And so all that preparation again behind the business and Simple Pin over the last six months really allowed me for the first time to totally walk away for a full week. I didn't answer one single email. I didn't answer one single Slack message. And um, my team had it. And it was the first time I, I knew for certain that Simple Pin was definitely not an I. It's a we. We do this together. And um, yeah, we, we celebrated our family of five again. And we talked about baby girl and we just lived in every moment in LA and I spoke and, you know, we, we did these great things. And um, I messaged a friend and I said, I can't, I can't go home. Like we just take care of our house. And she did, which was amazing. Um, we got home and everything was packed up and um, we found an amazing counselor here in Portland that actually specializes in foster family transitions. And she's been an incredible resource ever since. And so over the last year, because it's been a full year, um, as we have been in such heavy grief, what has amazed me is how Simple Pin still continues to grow. It's like, sometimes I just look at it and I go, I can't even believe this is happening. I can't believe I have these amazing team members. I can't believe I have all these, these things that are so, they mean so much to me. And I think, I think really, if I had to sum it up, I would say that's the behind the business that not a lot of people have seen is that my team has carried me through this in a way that 
I I don't even I don't know how to replicate it, right? Like I can't go step one, two, three, four, five, and here's how you do this. Um, I think a lot of it was in, uh, trusting them, trusting them that they had this this business, and trusting them that they cared about our clients, and trusting all these things. And it's made us such a stronger, cohesive team that it's allowed me to be in the position of dreamer again. And I think when you're in grief, there's a really great component of dreaming that helps you heal. And that has been what the last year has been is what's next. And thankfully, uh, dad has allowed us contact with baby girl. And that has been amazing. Um, It's been tough. I'm going to be honest that, again, my team has had to carry me when I say we're getting baby girl and it's going to be a couple of days and I'm out like I'm 100% into that. And she struggles with it. Um, her transitions have been so painful at sometimes that she'll just cry on the floor and she doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know where to be. And that requires me as um, the mama in her life to be there. And so... Yeah, it's been it's been great for me to say that. And they they know it. Okay, we're in. And that's even happened this week. In all honesty, is she's here with us again. And I messaged two of my team members and just said, I'm out. <laughs> like I'm gonna try to work, but pretty much I'm not gonna be productive because she's here. So so where are we at now? We're a year later. We still see her. We have a great relationship with her. She's transitioned from calling us mama to Kate and Dave or Mama Kate or Dave. Daddy Dave, which is great. And we're still going to continue to be involved in our life. But it, my husband wants to foster again. And I have to be honest with him and say, like, my heart still feels too tender. So our job right now is just to continue to invest in her and um, be leaders in her life and ask for leaders in her life and safe harbors for her and to trust that there'll be these these things will not be in vain, basically. So, so anyway, um, that kind of sums up what's what's happening here. And you know, in all honesty, like this is why um, when I teach about Pinterest marketing, I teach about how it can grow your business. It's because I know there's more for all of you behind the business. I know there's not this beach or piles of cash that you're looking for. And if you are, that's totally fine. No judgment. But when you're doing your business, when you're growing whatever you're growing and um, selling products or creating a blog or whatever, um, you're doing it because it allows you to do things that make an impact um, on the lives of the people in your community or on your family. And there are so many opportunities for people behind their business that we don't often see that. And the gift of a team and the opportunities, they're not lost on me. I am forever grateful for a team that walks through this with us and carries these loads. And I'm thankful there are people who understand grief on my team pretty intimately. And I just want you to know that I'm th- I'm so thankful for all of you who have been faithful listeners um, for the last two years. I'm thankful for the people who run Simple Pen. They are a gift. You as a listener are a gift. Our clients are gifts. They're amazing gifts because they help us grow. So 
with all that, thank you for listening to my story. Thank you for listening to my Behind the Business and for supporting what we do here at Simple Pin, for walking with us, for walking with me as I grow in this process, as I learn every day about Pinterest, as I learn every day how to best teach it to you, how to best communicate it to you. And at this point, a full year down the road, I am just cheering new beginnings and new relationships with people we never expected and with new opportunities. And I hope that for you. I hope that for you, there's great, awesome growth the rest of 2018. And that even if you are in the midst of a struggle, in the midst of pain, to look for the good gifts. And sometimes for me, that means writing down three things. And there have been moments in this last couple of years, three years, where I have looked and said, I am thankful for carpet. I am thankful for a roof over my head. I am thankful for a house cleaner. Like, I mean, it's been sometimes these granular little things that have gotten me through. And I know for many of you, that's the same case. But I just again, wrap this up. Thank you so much for being a listener. Thank you so much if you're a client listening for being a client. And if you're a Simple Pin team member listening, thank you. Thank you for your support. And um, if you want to listen to other Simple Pin podcasts, you can definitely go to simplepinmedia.com. You can see all the ways that you can listen to the Simple Pin podcast and hope to connect with you in the future and hope that you can join our Facebook group too, which is simplepinmedia.com slash Facebook. And I've just been so thrilled to walk this journey with you. So cheers to new beginnings and good things in Pinterest marketing and good things in your business.